I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James, and thank you for listening to the show today. We're going to be looking back at Saturday's 2-0 defeat to Manchester City. And in all honesty, it was a game to forget. It was a game to forget for Fulham fans. It was a game definitely to forget for the neutral. And I, I reckon if you were a Manchester City fan, it was a game to forget as well. There wasn't an awful lot happening. But in a way, that was the positive, wasn't it? There was nothing to write home about from a Fulham perspective. Yes, we didn't go look great going forward, but also we didn't concede eight or nine. So that is definitely the positive to take. Looking back at that game and, of course, looking forward to the return of fans to Craven Cottage. Firstly, Ben Jarman. Hello, hello. How you doing? I'm good, mate. How are you? Yeah, fine, thank you. I was picking your brains earlier because uh, my replacement bike after it got stolen has uh, has arrived this weekend and I was uh, picking Ben's brains earlier about all things to do with bikes. Uh, Lydia <laughs> Campbell, how you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Very good. Thanks for being on the pod. And Adam for Carson, nice to see you. Thanks, Sammy. Afternoon. Um, Adam, I was looking at your Twitter earlier and um, I don't know if it was today, but you certainly posted it today. Some some pictures, some beautiful pictures of you walking around Craven Cottage. Um, was that today or was that earlier yeah, this weekend? That was, that was about two hours ago and I, I just couldn't resist it this morning. I think there's only so much, um, so many photos I can see of the Riverside stand going up before I thought I'd take a drive down there, take a little walk around and... Um, spend half of my earnings in the stadium shop as usual oh very nice well i mean the stand the riverside stand is looking massive now isn't it you're really starting to see the scale of it it's much bigger when you're there in person i know that sounds really obvious but when you're walking <laughs> towards from like bishop's parkway you usually you just see the the floodlights kind of hanging over you now you can start to see the top of the stand as soon as you walk past the actual just to see craven cottage itself when you see through it as well that stand is going to absolutely tower over everything um i can't wait to see really the view looking back over london from there but it looks a sight already let alone when it's getting closer to being finished and they can open up like the riverside walk that will look amazing well we uh, we retweeted the photos of the fulhamish account if you want to see them they are some uh, beautiful black and white images of the cottage and uh how exciting that we're going to be returning next week but we'll come on to that adam uh, you took a look over the three word reviews from yesterday's game so uh, what have you got I did. So we didn't have too many that were related to it because, you know, even though it was a loss, it wasn't a really exciting loss. Um, so we've got Ian Essen <laughs> with ambition versus expertise. Uh, we've got Emma Hawkey nice. with just two, few. And then, you know, the winner of the lot is Patrick Brown with Ariola Grande performance. <laughs> As in, wow, I never thought an Ariana Grande um, pun would get into the Fulhamish three-word reviews, but we've nearly made 300 episodes, so I guess it was inevitable eventually, wasn't it? There you go. Well, well done, Patrick. Uh, top three-word review yes. there. Let's come on to the game. And Ben, it was an unchanged lineup from the impressive win over Leicester on Monday. I guess no surprises there. And although it was the same personnel, it wasn't exactly the same system that we saw uh, against Leicester. There was a bit of chopping and changing up top. Loftus-Cheek seemed to be the focal point of the attack rather than Cavalero. Yeah, I, I felt like uh, there, was a, there was a few changes there. Uh, we seemed to be sitting a little deeper and then Bobby Reed almost sort of became this orthodox right wing back. Uh, whereas I felt like against Leicester, he was more of a sort of like hybrid right midfielder, sort of right wing back. But yeah, you're right. Um, We've seen this a few times with Scott this season, though, uh, in that he likes his attacking midfielder to go beyond the striker and be that first line of press. And I'm not quite sure where he's got it from, Um, but I felt like it's been a recent thing. I'd say probably the last three or four games we've started to see Tom Kearney and then uh, this week, uh, Ruben Loftus-Cheek go beyond the striker and start that press. And I think all, he, all all we're trying to focus on here is getting that number 10 to hold the ball and start those counter-attacks as efficiently as they possibly can. 
Yeah, it, well, it was going to be it was a difficult test, Lydia, up against Manchester City. We didn't really get to see Fulham go forward at all. Um, looking at the match yesterday, though, we didn't start great. And I guess it was no real surprise that within five minutes, Man City were ahead. No, and it, look, it's 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 always disappointing conceding early, no matter who you're, you're up against, um, whether you're you know, against bottom of the table or, or top of the table. Um I think I think for me that was the most disappointing thing because we'd just come off the back of such a great win over Leicester and you think, well, I wonder can we give this a go today? You know, not not into the not into the extent that, you know, we maybe would have left ourselves wide open at the back. But I think no matter what happens, if you're gonna concede after you know, five minutes or whatever it was, you're 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 leaving yourself with a mountain to climb. And we left Kevin De Bruyne free, Adam, and that was, I guess, the disappointment. It was it was kind of weird how the goal came about. It looked like Anguissa handled the ball, and everyone stopped for a second, and then suddenly De Bruyne just found that yard of space. And you can't give Kevin De Bruyne a yard of space, really. Maybe the defence were a bit weirdly set up against Raheem Sterling but you give Kevin De Bruyne an inch like that and he's he's always going to cause danger and that that's the real mistake really if you can call it that yeah Kevin De Bruyne is the best player in this league I think when he gets in between your two centre midfielders and and your centre backs really and as soon as you give him that inch of space which we did there was a moment as you say of indecision everyone seemed to stop so I think it was like Ruben Loftus-Cheek must have lost the ball as well. And De Bruyne doesn't stop for a second. He's on it. He's running straight forward. And he he can do things in a split second that would take most players several seconds to do. And before you know it, he's through. Well, he's passed Raheem Sterling through and it's a goal. Yeah. <laughs> what can... I mean, you can't really analyse it, can you, Ben? It was just good it was just a good pass it was a good finish I thought like what else can you say at this stage well it's really it is difficult to analyse something that's that's that simple but you you know you always think about De Bruyne is that every single pass he he puts through to sort of you know like a striker it always has the perfect weight on it I think when we talk about Leicester like we had such a good win against Leicester but then you can't really let you get get your hopes up because there are three teams in this league, Liverpool, City, and, and probably Chelsea now, that they're just aliens. They're just on another planet. Like the quality of their play is so good, um, and I think the the De Bruyne pass probably underlines that. I mean, there was a chance, Lydia, not long afterwards for, from Adarabayo from a corner, which is probably Fulham's best chance of the game that didn't go anywhere near the goal. And actually, probably the most notable moment of, of that of that chance was the fact that Kevin De Bruyne just lobbed it over Harrison Reed like he wasn't there straight afterwards. Yeah, I mean, it's it, when you watch certain players play, um, De Bruyne being one of them, it's it's like everything they they touch sometimes just turns to gold. The 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 problem with with Fulham um, yesterday, you look at a game um, like you know you're away to City at the Etihad. They have John Stones, a centre back. You would quite like to think that our set plays could maybe cause them a bit of a problem, and and they just didn't. I mean, John Stones had our best chance, Ben. He um, very nearly scored a terrific own goal. And I was really excited when that was careering towards the city net and it just went wide. That could have been the bit of luck we needed yesterday. Yeah, I think that that could have been that stroke of luck that we needed to get back into the game because I think other than that, we didn't really threaten that much in that first half at all, did we? No, no. Let's come on to the penalty. Now, I was really conflicted with this as soon as I saw it I remember thinking that's soft and then I saw the replay and I thought oh but he's maybe just clipped Sterling and it's the Premier League and what do you think and then and the commentary team seemed kind of nonplussed about it and I thought oh maybe it's my biased Fulham head thinking that that's not a penalty but then match of the day last night um Gary Lineker Danny Murphy and Tim Cahill were all pretty adamant that that shouldn't be a penalty, but did also accept that in the modern day, then it's going to be given. So Ben, where do you stand on it? Because there was minimal contact and it definitely didn't send, wasn't enough to send a player like Sterling over. No, I, I don't think it's enough to send a player like Sterling over. I mean, 
you look at Raheem Sterling, he's actually he's quite small, but he's actually I'd say low key quite strong. And we've seen this on a number of occasions when he when he dribbles with the ball and he can shield it. But as as the pundits rightly say, in in the in the modern game, a challenge like that is going to be given, especially in the penalty area. Uh, and as soon as Sterling feels the contact, of course he's going to go down. Uh, it's just what an attacker does now, especially in, in that modern football. There have been a couple this year that Fulham have got where I'm not entirely sure that we should have been given a penalty, but um, the contact is there. That Tom Kearney at West Ham, for example, um, obviously the contact is there. It wasn't a huge amount of contact. Um, so the penalty can be at times touch and go. But I think, yeah, modern game, both of those incidents I've highlighted there are both penalties. I guess what annoys me, Adam, is you look at Ian Pervader for Leeds yesterday and uh, they uh, Leeds played away at Stamford Bridge and... He gets challenged I, I, um, in the box and it's a penalty, but he doesn't go down. He stays on his feet and it's not given. And I believe it was um, it was either Sterling or Jesus um, for, for Man City against Liverpool. And one of them got challenged, stayed on their feet and, and it wasn't given. Players are always going to go down if referees don't have the bottle to give penalties when they stay on their feet. I think that's, yeah, that is the modern game, as you say, that they do feel they have to go to ground to be able to get noticed for these particular fouls, if we're going to call them that. But I think I, w- I would love Fulham to take the approach that even if, if we get if we get uh, contact in the box, that we don't go down, um, that we don't try and, you know, earn our penalties and things like that. But it, it is still the best chance that you have of winning a game. And I don't blame Raheem Sterling for going down, even in the way that he did, because ultimately there is contact. If there's no contact... I'd still count it as diving, but I think we're, as you say, until referees move to a position where they're going to start giving penalties, even when a player doesn't throw themselves to the floor, um, players are going to continue to do it. And Lydia, 2-0 down at the Etihad. That was it, wasn't it, really? There was there was no chance of Fulham getting back into the game. But I guess what was impressive to a point, I feel like Parker maybe over-egged it slightly in his post-match press conference, but I, I, I guess it's in his nature and his, in his own interest to be as positive as possible, is that we were a bit resilient once we were 2-0 down. We didn't fold, but we did have Ariola to thank for keeping it that way. He'd already made some good saves. He made one at 0-0, didn't he, to, to deny Sterling. Um, there was one which deflected off Harrison Reed, which he saved well. And undoubtedly, he was the player of the match yesterday. Yeah, I mean, I think I think we can already thank Gariola, um, you know, in general, that this season, whether we've won a match or we've, um, we've, we've been in it to, to the end, quite often it's, um, it, it, it's because of him um, and it's funny because at the start of the season uh, I, I kind of had the view that it was Rodak's uh, position to lose and I felt a bit sorry for him whenever he um, he, he was dropped out after the first game when he didn't really do a- anything wrong but you know when you look at it you have to say well you can understand why that decision's been made um, he's, he's a top class keeper and it's you know that's something we haven't had at Fulham probably since we had Mark Mark Schwarzer to be honest um you know we've all it's always been a question mark position and while Rodak did well last season Bettinelli did well the the first season that that we went up um it's you know this is probably the first time we've had a keeper of that sort of caliber um since our, our Mark Schwarzer days High praise indeed to compare him to uh, to, to Mark Schwartz. I feel like Sergio Rico has a, has a claim to that. Do you not think, Lids? Oh, yeah. Okay. Look, he's a, he was a good keeper, but I don't think um, he maybe. I think I think Rico had a much worse defence in front of him. To be fair, <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll give him that. Um, yeah. But I think I think Ariola is. Um, He's just the most talented keeper that we've had since Schwarzer. He's not not in the same caliber, um, but in terms of of positions, I think this is the first time we've had someone who's actually possibly going to win games for us um, purely by by um, keeping goals out. Uh, even as, as Sergio Rico's number one fan in the whole world, I would I would say that Ariola is a cut above him. I think is a. 
Champions League level goalkeeper that we've somehow managed to get our hands on. And he's, as Lyd says, he's going to win us games this year. If at the at the very least he'll he'll pick us up some points. And I think that actually um, Barker has quite a good point made in his uh, post match interview because City at times were really bombarding us, especially with those low crosses. And although we didn't threaten too much. That's what City are designed to do. They're, they, they're designed to suffocate and snuff out the opposition and they're, they're designed to, to sort of lull you in to being narrow and then getting you in wide areas. And I think that they tried to do that a lot, especially in the second half, um, and sort of use those low, powerful cutback crosses. But Fulham dealt with them quite well on the whole, in my opinion. And I don't know. I think there is a certain amount of resilience to us. The 18-19 the team would have lost about 6-0 to that Man City that Man City team yesterday, I think. Well, we did lose to them, I think, 4-0 in the uh, occasion that we actually did go to the Etihad earlier in the season, <laughs> didn't we? I mean, when you compare the two defences that were on display that game and then yesterday, it's, it's chalk and cheese. Um, ben, going forward, whilst... I think I have a lot of sympathy for, for Scott and the team. It's Man City. They're very, very good. There was a few moments yesterday where I, I feel like we didn't take advantage enough of some situations that were presented to us where maybe Fulham had decent numbers going forward and Man City had overcommitted slightly and we quite often played the wrong pass or made the wrong move or just lacked a little bit of quality going forward. Whilst I'm not here saying we should have beaten Man City or we should have scored against Man City, maybe there could have been a few tweaks or slight better decision making in order to plant our footprint on that game a little bit more. City aren't a perfect football team. They can be beaten. We haven't played the Arsenal Invincibles of 03-04 and occasionally going forward, I feel like we didn't give a good enough account of ourselves yesterday. Yes, uh, to an extent, I agree. I think in terms of tactic, tactical uh, and lineup, you probably wouldn't change anything because there was clearly a game plan in mind that you, we would try and keep City honest uh, and to a lower score, which in part we did. But I actually do I do agree with you. There are a few occasions, especially on the counter, where uh, a sharper pass or an earlier pass or perhaps the lack of a shot. Um, I know it sounds mad to say that, considering I think we only had six shots all game. Um, it, it, do, it does sound a bit crazy to say we should have taken less. But however, the one, the one thing that comes to my mind is that Cavaliero chance where he shoots from the edge of the box and, the end, and Edison saves it. We had a four-on-three opportunity there. Um, but I think the way that City defend, they're so used to have to trying to see off that over exertion of attacking players that they are sort of they're, they're not fussed. They're they're incredibly calm at the back, and it sort of almost tricked Fulham into thinking they had to take a shot because those spaces were being shut down. And I, I kind of wish that that Cavaliero chance he would have just taken the ball on and, and driven a little bit because there was an overlap coming. Um, but yeah, I. I as, you, as I say, I don't think we could have changed anything tactically in the lineup, but better decision making at the other end of the pitch might have gotten us a goal. Or um, AF, what do you think about Ruben Loftus Cheek? Personally, yesterday I was, I was crying out a bit for Tom Kearney in that match. I felt like Loftus Cheek was was struggling to keep the ball and was sometimes a bit sloppy in his passes. It's a thankless task being the kind of focal point of of an attack um, again against such a good team. But then I was also thinking, well, if you want. Lopez's cheek to almost be a target man well then we have a target man on the bench his name's Alexander Mitrovic I, I thought in either position whether he was either trying to play in the 10 and, and link play probably Kearney was the better player because he might be a bit more careful with his possession or at being this this focal point up front well then Mitrovic is surely the better option it feel, felt to me like Lopez's cheek was in both times trying to be a square peg in a round hole yeah, I mean, to totally agree with you there in the fact that Ruben didn't look comfortable throughout the entirety of that game. Um, we've spoken in previous podcasts about trying to find his right position. And, you know, when he came on in previous games, he's, he's looked really good for us in spells. But um, Parker's mentioned how he's been trying to change his, uh, Ruben's mentality to get him to not let games pass him by. And maybe by trying to put him in the 
number 10 striker position. I, I don't really know which one he was trying to play. He wanted to make sure that he had a real impact on the game. Now, for me, as you say, lost the ball in the middle of the park quite a lot. He didn't really win any headers against Rodri. So that might have been one of the reasons he was in there, is that actually gives us the option to lump the ball a little bit longer and still try and win it through Ruben and um, get some knock-ons to some of our faster players. But really, he didn't do any of that. He looked uncomfortable with his back to goal. Um, he always looked better when he was running at players. So I would have been screaming out for Tom Kenny as well. You saw when Kenny did come on as well. Okay, it was a little bit deeper, um, but he was always looking for that. He was taking that extra touch. He was more composed on the ball. And I think in those situations that Ben mentioned, he would have been the one to pick that pass to actually get us in on goal. I don't think Ruben was that player with his back to goal. So I think I would have started Kearney um, and we're still trying to find Ruben's best position for us. Lydia, is there anything else that you'd have changed yesterday with the beauty of hindsight in that game, apart from maybe not conceding two goals? You know, is there anything <laughs> structurally or <laughs> tactically that you would have just done different that maybe could have had a bit of a better impact yesterday on the game? Yeah, I mean, I I would agree with um, some of the earlier points. Um, I think one of the issues I had with our setup yesterday was that we weren't willing to change it um, early enough. I think that yes, okay, you know, we really could have done without conceding two goals so early, but after that, I, you know, I, I could understand what Scott's trying to do. Um, but I think that after about 60 minutes, whenever we've managed to, you know, we've held City at bay quite well, that would be the time for me that we then try to change it up a little bit. Um, and I think by at that stage, yeah, like I, I would have rather Kearney had started fr from the beginning, um, but I think he had to come on a heck of a lot earlier than he did. Um, I think, you know, as... As Adam said, um, Loftus-Cheek just didn't really look comfortable with, with what he was doing, whereas Kearney would have in that position and did in the last 10 minutes. Um, I think for me, I can understand what Scott was doing. I think he needs to have have his, his plan B implemented earlier. Um, I think there was maybe possibly an aspect of stubbornness there. I'm not sure. But I think for me, you need to you need to change it up earlier. Know know what you're going to do. Um, I think for me, that was just the biggest disappointment for, from yesterday. I wondered if it was just a tad of realism from Scott and his team thinking, I could bring Kearney on 10, 15 minutes early. He might have an impact, but we're not getting anything out of this game. We're just not. <laughs> City are not going to concede two goals here. I mean, I'm not sure what he's saving the players for, uh, what for next week's also really winnable game against Liverpool. But I guess maybe thinking that in the week after that, there's two games in a week against uh, then Brighton and Newcastle. There's some really winnable games over Christmas. So maybe that's what Scott's saving it for. But I, I, I agree, Lids. It felt like he needs to make that change earlier. What about the goal difference kind of thing? Well, yeah, that, I mean, that, that, I mean that, that, that's true as well. I think, I, look, I understand we're 2-0 down at, at, at Man City. We're not going to make drastic changes in a vain attempt to, you know, nick a draw. It's not going to happen. But I think for me, I would have liked to have at least lay a glove on City at some stage in the game. Um, and we just didn't. And that that for me is a slight, slight concern. Um, I would like us to have at least troubled them at some stage in the match. And we just didn't. I don't know. I, I think personally, I would have preferred us to go out and be a little bit more resilient, hold our shape more and lose 2-0 than to do what they do to Burnley every single time they play them, which is where Burnley get torn apart to shreds. And, you know, I don't think Fulham can really afford to be losing 5-0 to teams like that because it just puts us even further behind if we're trying to pick up pick up points from teams in and around us. I'd, I'd rather we went to the Etihad. I know this sounds pathetic, but I'd rather we went there and we lost 2-0, had some sort of resilience, worked on the shape a little bit more, then get pumped 5-0 trying to play out uh, and like trying to play City at their own game and then try and revert into our shell again against Liverpool. Hmm. I mean, and you look at the table now and the table's starting, I think, after 10 games to 
gather some kind of shape, isn't it? You look at the top four and it's pretty much the, the usual suspects and, and you look at the bottom and there is now a clear gap um, between the, the bottom four and, and above Brighton kind of sitting in some middle territory and Arsenal what, amazingly close to the bottom three. But anyway, that's a side point. And, and you look, Fulham have got three better goal difference than Burnley, five better than West Brom who got battered by Palace earlier um, and, and a little bit better than Sheffield United but a lot of points against them. That is an extra point. That is hugely important, Ben. And I guess uh, you you are right that losing 5-0 could come back and haunt us at the end of the season. And that's maybe the mistake that, that Slavisa made, wasn't it? He was happy to lose 5-0 as long as we went out there and attacked. And maybe it's, it's Scott Parker just accepting the situation a bit more than Slavisa ever did. Yeah, I kind of like this about Scott. There is a sense of realism about him and, you know, people will take the mick and, and you know, put him over the streets and all that sort of thing <laughs> in, in post-match interviews. But actually, I think Scott's like all of us. Like, you don't want to go out there and see your team get battered 5-0 because it's something that you, you work on so hard in training. And then to try and get them physically and mentally back up for another massive game against Liverpool... You know, a 2-0 loss to City where you can take the positives of being resilient as Joachim Anderson come out and, and spoke about in his post-match interview. It's a lot easier to get you mentally and physically motivated than coming out and losing 5-0 to City and looking like you had absolutely no chance whatsoever of getting even in the opposition's half like we have done in, under previous management. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And it's, it's it's been very difficult to actually watch Fulham in recent seasons when we play these big teams and you're thinking... Uh, we conceded one goal. Cool. Here comes the open the floodgates. Here come the rest of them. Um, I'd much prefer for us to go in at two nil down and actually take, as you say, the positives from it. Uh, also, I hear Scott talking a lot about the fact it's a long game, so it's going to be a long, hard season. And you know, he knows the position that we're going to be in. He's not um, he's not over ambitious. He is a realist. So knowing that we are going to be down the bottom, he must be looking towards goal difference and also keeping the team morale up. Um, if you can actually go in and say we lost 2-0 to one of the best teams in the country, we've got another one coming up, let's try and do better in the you know first half, we could be looking towards a 0-0. Oh, whoopee. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I really don't want that nil-nil record to go, Adam. I don't care. I mean, that nil-nil record is all we've got. Um, the only thing about yesterday, and, and Lids, I'd like to get your thoughts on this, is I watched it yesterday and me and my dad sat down and... It was just the boring reality of the Premier League. And whilst it's great to be back and there are definitely advantages of being in the Premier League, certainly in these current times where we can't get to matches and they're better televised and now they don't cost £14.95. Um, but <laughs> I just watched it yesterday. I sat down. I knew we were going to lose. I knew we weren't going to score. And when it was 2-0 to Man City, I knew that the game was over and it it did just make me pine for the championship, a league where you could be 2-0 down to the, uh, a side, even top of the league, running away with it. And actually, I would still think that Fulham have got a chance of winning this 3-2, or that even when Fulham were 3-0 up against Huddersfield after 30 minutes last season, actually Huddersfield scored two and, and made it a really entertaining game. And it just made me long for that second tier where everyone could be everyone. And yesterday just felt like a reality of that is not the case in this division. Uh, I mean, yeah, I think, I think in general, when, when you're a sports fan, you want drama. You don't want something that is obviously going to happen. You don't want it to be a match where you're thinking that, you know, you basically know the outcome before you begin um, no one likes that. That's that's boring. That's dull. But I do think that the way the Premier League is set up at the minute, whether it's because we're in the middle of a pandemic, where you know who knows. Um, but crazy things can still happen, and I'm sort of still in that hopeful phase, I guess, that um, something mad could have happened yesterday. It didn't, but it could have. Um, and I, I kind of feel that. There's not going to be a runaway team this year. Yes, okay, the teams at the bottom might be a little bit cut off, but I still think that mad things can happen. And um, maybe I'm just a little bit of a into my fairy tales when it comes to sport. But I still think that there's going to be results this season that are just ridiculous. 
and hopefully we're involved with, 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 with some of those rather than it being, you know, West Brom or, or Burnley um, or Sheffield United. I have to hope that that's going to be us involved in, the, in those matches um, and hopefully it can start against Liverpool next week. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Fingers crossed. Right, we're going to take a quick break. And afterwards, we're going to get through some of your questions. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here and I'm joined by Ben Jarman. Hello, hello. Lydia Campbell. Hello. And Adam Fakarson. Afternoon. Right, let's get through some questions that have come in. Um, and, and quite a lot of them censoring around Alexander Mitrovic. So I'll, I'll start on that topic. Gary C says, are we seeing the beginning of the end of Mitro's career for us? Uh, man like Anguissa said, is Mitro's skill set just not suitable to an already physical Premier League? And uh, Bad Minded says, rumours of Mitro bust up and that he's fit as a fiddle, so strange a mission off in January. Now we saw Izzy Barker's tweet yesterday on Twitter, um, obviously, um, saying about how Mitro is fit and that it's a tactical decision from Scott at this stage. Ben, it's it's a peculiar situation that Fulham can't find a place for probably maybe barring Angisa, the most talented person in this in this squad. It is weird. Um, I do wholeheartedly agree with that. But I do think that there's something going on in terms of Scott's mindset against these teams where you have to be mobile. So when the lineup came out against Leicester, all of us were kind of like, what on earth is happening there? Um, Obviously, it worked out well because we got a positive result out of it. But I think what is becoming more and more obvious is that the need for a target man in the Premier League that is slow and lumbering and is dwindling more and more each season where the Premier League is trending towards strong, tall, incredibly fast players that are able to switch on at the click of a finger. And I kind of think that Fulham are setting up in that way where they're trying to be as mobile as possible. They're trying to shape shift around other teams. They're trying to hit on the counter. And having someone of Mitro's side and speed up top might not necessarily work for us in the long term, whether it's because he's too lethargic or because he doesn't offer enough on the press. I'm not sure, but I think that that's the way Scott is looking at it. And it does really pain me to say what I feel is like an ill against Mitrovic because 26 goals last season, absolutely. If we didn't have Mitrovic last season, we would not have come up. Um, And, you know, he is quality. Serbia's top scorer, internationally of all time I believe Um, scored a goal every other game for Fulham in his Fulham career you really really find it very difficult to you know put any ill words towards Mitrovic but I think in the start reality of the Premier League I think that his type of player is is slowly being phased out Adam is there a chance that Mitro goes in January I'm seeing more and more of these rumours and Look, if someone wants to pay a lot of money for Mitrovic and he's not getting in the side, then it's not going to just be thrown off the table straight away. I know it's jumping to conclusions and he might be back against Liverpool and play really well and this conversation will look redundant, but we're just here as fans wondering why our top scorer isn't playing and also noticing that without our top scorer, we're not doing all that badly. So I I think it's right to ask the question. Yeah, we've had times like this with all of our best players, though. If you look, anyone that stayed at the club for, you know, over two seasons, let's say, they've always had a bad period with us where they've been benched out of the team and they come back in usually and they show us exactly what we were missing. We've seen the same thing with Tom Kearney. We've seen the same thing with some of our best players. And I really hope that this isn't the beginning of the end for Mitrovic, as a lot of people seem to be thinking it is. Uh, Scott's mentioned that he's got a big part to play in the rest of our season. And I hope he does. 
I'm not sure what that is yet, though. And I think that's the problem is that, as Ben mentions, you know, the whole Premier League is moving towards faster players that really isn't Mitrovic. But we still have yet to see what we do when it comes to a home game against one of the maybe lower half opponents that we're looking at being on the front foot against. We know that Mitrovic can do extremely well in those situations. He, I think he was still looking at these games as a reality check of how we could actually look to cause them problems. And that is soak up the pressure and break. If, you've, if you're looking to break and Mitrovic is there, he is actually slowing down a whole build-up play towards that. So I just think he's being realistic. Otherwise, I probably don't think we would have seen him in the 18 at all. I think he would have been completely um, out of it, maybe like people like Michael Hector are. I don't think he would have seen him at all. So I think let's see what happens over the next couple of games because I'm sure the Mitrovic still has a part to play for us. Lydia, Part of my thinking with Mitrovic, he is one of those players for me, real confidence player. So many strikers are, but feeds off the crowd so much. He absolutely loves it when we're all singing Mitro's on fire and Mitro. And with the return of fans for the next two games for Fulham against Liverpool and Brighton, I just wonder if you start Mitrovic against Liverpool, he will, and, and yes, it's 2,000 fans, but it, it, from what games I've seen so far at Stamford Bridge and the Olympic Stadium and Arsenal last Thursday, it really seems to be lifting players, just some fans being in the ground. I have a funny feeling Mitrovic rises to the occasion if there's people in the ground. I don't know, just a hunch, but he's one of those players. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would have to agree with that. I think any striker is a player who their whole game is based on confidence. Um, and one thing that really struck me against Leicester um, on Monday night was we were 2-1 up and Peter Schmeichel came up for a... Um, a corner for some reason. I think you mean Casper, but uh, we get the we get we it definitely. Uh, if Peter came up, that would certainly have been surprising. Casper oh, yes. <laughs> Schmeichel, yes. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm getting very confused. It's, uh, I've been up for a very long time. <laughs> um, I, I think um, yeah. So so Casper Schmeichel came up for this um, for this corner. Next thing, Fulham win the ball back, and Metro is away. He's 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 breaking, and for me. A striker with confidence would have just hit it from the halfway line. You know, he didn't, he didn't, yet we were winning. It wasn't going to make or break our match. And for some reason, he decided to pass it. And I remember at the time Mm. thinking, this guy has no confidence at the minute. I don't know why. I don't know where it's come from. He's maybe just completely exhausted. But I would say that with fans next week, that is the game to put him in. Doesn't matter who we're playing against. I I would have him in the starting lineup next week because I would imagine that the two thousand fans there will go absolutely nuts for him. And I think that's exactly what what he needs at the minute. Yeah. Oh, I hope I hope so. We're going to come on to fans um, at Craven Cottage in a second. Um, next question from Jack Taplin. Um, looks like Terence Congolo is getting closer and closer to fitness. He says, does Terence Congolo displace either of our two centre-backs or have they done enough in these games to warrant keeping their places? Uh, ben, your thoughts on a potential return for, for Terence Congolo? I don't, I don't see where he comes in. No, nor do I, to be honest with you, mate. Uh, I think I was just going to be really cocky and say, I'll give you a one-word answer. No. Um, but I feel like that's yeah. unnecessary. I, I don't. I don't <laughs> think that Adarabio and Anderson are are going to be displaced anytime soon. I think they've they they work together in tandem so well, and I think both of them give us something that we haven't had before in terms of being able to break out of dangerous positions much quicker. I, I was writing an opposition review, uh, opposition preview for Man City Extra this week, and they asked me about Tosin Adarabio and. I don't think he's getting as many plaudits as Joachim Anderson is, but I think he does deserve them because his importance is really understated. He's really good at reading the game, but more importantly, his passing range allows us to counter really, really quickly. Um, and and I think Anderson, I think for someone to be made captain after five, four or five games, um, basically pocket Jamie Vardy and looked really good against City as well. I think it does un- it underlines his quality. Yeah, we'll probably see a little bit more out of him and he's still only young, but I can't see Congolo after such a long time out getting anywhere near that pairing for, for quite a while. Yeah, I, I can't over it. It's, it's a strange signing really, isn't it? The whole Congolo 
one because none of us really expected it or necessarily were, were pining for it. But, you know, good to have quality if either Tosin or Anderson do get injured and, and we know Anderson has had his injury problems. Um, Adam, this question from Elijah said, should we expect more or less the same match versus Liverpool as we just had against City or should Scott be a bit more ambitious at this time? I think they are very different teams. They have a, a similar level of quality maybe to... Man City but I think you know there is the fact it is a home game there are going to be fans in the stadium that means that I can't imagine Scott setting up with maybe five at the back to soak up the pressure from Liverpool I think it's going to be a more end-to-end game but I think what we see with these top teams is it maybe only takes you know three four of them to actually break on us to score a goal and if they do have Salah um up against us it's it's not going to be fun. So I do think that we have to be realistic in how we set up, but I don't think we should set up with five at the back again um, for that game, particularly. Um, I don't see a huge change though, from a lot of the players that like, I mean, you can't be looking at dropping anyone like Anguisa, uh, Harrison Reed, as Ben's mentioned, the back, uh, the two centre backs aren't going to change. And I think this game's going to come too soon for Kenny Tete as well. Um, so I think it will be largely the same team, but maybe a slightly different setup, maybe a little bit more attacking. Um, and Lydia, um, Agile Angisa asks, what have they put in Angisa's cereal and can I have some? Uh, it was another great performance yesterday for, from Andre Frank. Um, he was someone that uh, myself, Jack and Peter spoke about in, in detail on Thursday's pod. If you haven't listened to it, uh, thoroughly recommend it. We even had uh, Cameroon manager Tony uh, Conceição on uh, for a few <laughs> opinions, which was a hell of a coup. Um, but Lydia... I mean, Anguisa didn't really get the opportunity to to show his quality quite like he did against Leicester. He did do that wonderful turn, though, about five minutes in where uh, I think he, he he floored a good two or three City players. Just a beautiful little Cruyff turn. And I thought it was another fairly strong performance from him yesterday. Yeah, I mean, I'm so excited to watch this guy kind of continue to, to develop. Um, there's something really lovely about about him coming back to Fulham, um, his whole, you know, Colin Parker, Coach Parker and this, you know, there seems to be, he seems to be feeling the love from the um, the Fulham backroom staff. And I think that's that's huge. And he has been, you know, clearly his, his first touches, um, his whole manner when he has the ball is just it, so impressive. Um, and I think a lot of our kind of opposition don't, aren't really that aware of him at the minute, um, which I think is a, a really good thing. Because any time, um, I know people in work, when they kind of see him play, they're like, oh my word, who's this guy? Um, and I think he could be a real dri- driving force for us this year. Um, I He seems to get better every match. Did you see, I don't know if any of you guys saw a stat, but uh, last year, Lionel Messi had the most dribbles in La Liga. The second was Andre Frank Zambo and Gisa. <laughs> That's unreal. Incredible, incredible. Well, I think some of our dribbling stats, mainly because of Anguissa, are like some of the best in the top leagues in Europe, which is... 14.9 dribbles a game at the moment. I mean... Yeah, he's, he's so hard to get the ball off as well. And that's exactly what, what we need. Um, mm. You know, when we went down two seasons ago, it's because we were giving the ball away constantly. Mm. Uh, it was one of the many reasons, <laughs> actually. Yeah. But now, you know, we have a player who is an absolute nightmare to play against because um, midfielders just can't can't get, get, get the ball off him. Mm. And it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing um, kind of piece of strength to have in your side. Um, final qu- question kind of from me really no one actually asked this one but interested <laughs> to get your thoughts is on the return of fans um, at Craven Cottage and Adam I'll go to you on this one as you were a season ticket holder last year um, I've applied for the ballot so it's live I think until Monday so if you haven't done it do it soon um, and it's it's a bit of a strange process um, you, you have to apply for all three games and Adam, you were saying before the podcast how you haven't applied because you don't get a choice over which games you go to and you can't make one of the matches. And basically part of the condition of it is that you have to be able to go to whatever game you get. And well, you were a bit miffed, mostly because you can't apply for the two that you can go to because you can't go to the third one. I, I've seen a few people complaining about this online. It, it seems like a bit of a bizarre way of the club of doing this well i mean 
I think if they were looking at this and it was a couple more games ago, it would have been understandable to maybe do uh, a three game um, set type thing because, you know, Christmas wasn't involved. But with the with the likelihood of uh, traveling over Christmas, I personally have some family in Wales that I'll be traveling to see. There's no way I'm driving from Wales back to Fulham for Southampton on Boxing Day. So what I've actually done is I haven't applied uh, for the ballot because I'll only be able to make two of those games. And I don't want to be in a position uh, that I've taken away a ticket from a fan that definitely would have enjoyed going and been able to actually attend the game. Uh, there's also the fact that if you do get a ticket uh, during this ballot, uh, you won't be able to apply to the next ballots as well. So that's another reason I didn't apply in case I couldn't go and I couldn't apply to the next lot of games. But I've seen a lot of, I've spoken to some other season ticket holders and at their respective clubs and they've been offered, you know, on a single game basis to apply for those, or even if it is a group of games, being able to actually say, okay, I can't make this game and they have like a reselling process of it, but it doesn't mention that anywhere on the Fulham site at the moment. So yeah, it was, it kind of counted me out, which has annoyed me because I was, you know, watching match of the day yesterday, it looks like it's making a massive difference to the players, the atmosphere, and I personally can't wait to get back. I mean, it's going to be amazing, Ben, when there are fans back in the ground. Um, we've seen so far at the time of recording three top flight teams host games with fans, which has been Arsenal in the Europa League. And then we saw West Ham um, and Chelsea have fans in their ground yesterday. And and I know someone who's a Chelsea fan, I know, forgive me. Um, but he said yesterday that the atmosphere was amazing. And he kind of said it was a bit like going to watch your favourite band who you'd normally watch in like a mega stadium and watching them somewhere quite intimate. I don't know, like Brixton Academy or something. And because everyone in the ground was a season ticket holder, everyone there was really motivated to make the atmosphere uh, as good as possible. And I'm sure it helped that they they won quite convincingly yesterday. But if, if I, I'm so excited to see what it's like with fans back in the ground. I think it could make a massive difference. Oh, massively. So I think the players have, Every player from every team has been incredibly vocal about all the play, all, all the fans coming back, and I, I think one of the, for me, what stood out was um, an Instagram post by Hector Bellerin, who was really, really pleased just to have two thousand people back in the Emirates, a, a stadium that ho- that holds over sixty thousand people, uh, and you know, I think it will continue to motivate the players. It's good. It's so good just to have some sort of normality returning, even on such a small scale. I think the players will love it. Uh, and Lydia, from from what you've seen on the telly, um, it's also been a more impressive spectacle from from the television point of view as well. Is it just just hearing authentic cheering and and authentic noises rather than the canned in stuff that that's been yeah. piped to us for the last you know eight to nine months uh, is such an improvement. I really noticed it. You know when West Ham scored yesterday, when Chelsea scored yesterday. Not that I have much love for either of those teams. It almost brings a smile to your face to hear actual cheering. Do you know what I actually I, I had yesterday? I think it was uh, Chelsea's equaliser. Um, and I remember thinking there was so much joy in the stadium. And I know you, you get that anyway if a team scores a goal. But it was like these 2,000 fans were, were finally watching a goal live. And it was it, it, it was exciting. Um, and as you say, you know, we're not certainly not Chelsea fans in the, on this podcast. But there was something quite nice about it. Um, you know, take Chelsea away from it. The fact that there was um, actual fans to celebrate an actual goal in a stadium. And the other thing that I, I kind of love is the, um, you know, opposition players taking throw-ins, taking anything like that. And you're always going to get um, a couple of fans, you know, hurry up or get on with it. Or these are things that, you know, we've missed that are little mm. small intimate details about watching football that we have not had over the past nine months. And it's unbelievable to see how much of a difference 2,000 fans can make. And 2,000 fans in our much smaller stadium next week I think is going to um, be a huge difference to the players. Yeah, I'd be actually, I can kind of understand Marcelo Bielsa's point because he was saying that it's it's an unfair advantage for those teams that will have fans um, in the grounds. And whilst I'm not going to complain because we've lucked out on the ballot of tears well, <laughs> that the UK government has, uh, has drawn, but... It is going to be a massive advantage for us over over the other teams that are playing there, and, I, and I've got to say as well, I and and this podcast has certainly, you know, 
gone mad on ticket prices for the last few years. And whilst 40 pounds is still not that cheap, I am also aware of it's a lot more expensive as some other clubs and it could have been a lot more expensive as well. So I think they've got the balance right there with 40 pounds for adults. So I guess kind of fair play. And I don't say that that often. So I I feel like I should get that in there. Okay, we're going to take another quick break and then we'll finish and name the podcast next. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here with Lydia Campbell, Ben Jarman and Adam for Carson. Um, just to say that, uh, do check out the Fulhamish YouTube channel for more reaction to yesterday's game against Manchester City. Uh, it was Jack Farrell and Nathan doing full-time live after the game. And um, we, we've been absolutely loving doing the full-time lives. You can watch it live pretty much straight after full-time. It's on YouTube, it's on Facebook, and it's on the Fulhamish Twitter as well. So if you ever want a little bit of instant fan reaction to games, either someone to celebrate with or someone to commiserate with, um, make sure that you're watching those afterwards probably the easiest way is to subscribe to Fulhamish on YouTube. Make sure you have a set up for notifications. Um, and, and also you can get all of our other great videos from the likes of uh, Jack Kelly and Joe Sanson with the SW6 Essential as well. Certainly worth checking out. Um, we need to finish today's podcast. Adam, uh, you were looking over the three word reviews. So what would you like to title the podcast? Based on the fact that I don't think we're going to have another Ariana Grande pun for a very long time. I'm going to go with Patrick Brown's Ariola Grande performance. I was thinking Ariola has been been very good since we were switching positions hey okay. okay, get it ariana grande <laughs> pun no just me just me someone out there will get that one okay well <laughs> you do a better ariana grande pun come on anyone got one i don't know anything about her mate i can't <laughs> no no one lydia you strike me as someone that might know an ariana grande song or two unfortunately my music knowledge is horrendous so i can't help you here i'm afraid <laughs> oh, oh, well, thank you next anyway oh uh, no <laughs> i stole it off you stole <laughs> it off his tip of his tongue okay well thank you very much for listening today ben jarman thank you very much thanks sammy shinji okazaki's just scored from 40 yards out incredible scenes oh really games the game and the world is drunk it's adam for carson thank you very much cheers sammy had a lovely afternoon and Lydia Campbell thank you very much yep thank you for having me guys Uh, myself Jack and Peter will be back with the midweek podcast and I imagine we'll be going in depth on the return of fans to Craven Cottage very very exciting indeed have a good start to your week come on you guys toodles